Hello everybody, it is I, uh, Ryan, host of Dean Told Me To. I know this video is coming up a little late, and flight didn't get in until early Sunday morning, and then my grandmother, who has been away in rehab for the past good two or three weeks, finally came home today. So we had to get her all set up, get all of her medications in order after being in rehab to get a whole new set of medications, getting orders for things, etc. So well, that's been a little stressful, so thank you all for bearing with me. Um, uh, that's going to be starting a new thing for those that are in the Discord and want to get involved in the project. I'll be doing, um, like, weekly kind of creature updates there. So, for example, right now I sent, we'll show up the Discord a little bit for those that are watching. I'll just describe it for those that are listening to. Sorry, I'm having a thing going on with my school as well. But, uh, okay. So I'm in a new section called Weekly Oramon Discussions. And here, for example, this week um, will be the evolution. So I sent a picture of what frog looked like in the game and its evolution, Henry, the psionic frog. So. This will be a spot for where the um, people that are creative in the Discord and want to hop in, or even if you're just creative at home and just like to design D&D creatures, um, I'm going to need a cool new keycard ability, a regular unique ability for Henry the Psionic Frog, and a special new attack. Um, frog is obviously not very strong in D&D, so this guy does not need to be the strongest creature ever. Obviously, he'll be CR3. Um, so, but I'll just need... Uh, not need, but I will think of an idea, obviously, but I like to get feedback from the community to get you guys a little bit involved, too, to see, because perhaps if your idea is good enough, it could be the set stone idea for the card. So, I want to talk about that quick there. Okay. So, without further ado, just get into it. So, 713, what's going to happen here is, um, I added wisdom to saving throws because there's only one saving throw. And a buddy of mine pointed out the thing where it's like, hey, you know, every class in D&D has two. So, I figured I'd add that there. Get that going there. Um, and, continuing on here. Um, I got new Oramon we'll talk about. I got Seymour the Shell Collector, Necromancer's Hand, and Hands of the Damned, which should be kind of cool to look at. Um, I might have to change some of the wording in some sections of the book, because I think I was toggling between Hands of the Demise, Hands of the Damned. That might be thrown around. Um, I'm going to go with, I think, Hands of the Damned, though, sounds the coolest. Um, and then a podcast exclusive first look at signature abilities. So this is something where somebody just looking at the link, which shout out, now there's got like 60 plus views just looking at this, which I think is awesome for people that have come and clicked on the link. I can see the amount of people that have checked on the link. So um, 60 plus people that have clicked the link is amazing. And um, I think that's awesome. That means the project's growing. People are like what they're seeing and I'm excited. So anyway, let's get into this here. I don't think this episode will be super long just because it's actually quite late by me and I have to be up actually quite early for work tomorrow. So, um, this shouldn't be super long, but I'll get into some stuff and we'll get into it. So, um, just to show off, I added the wisdom save on the top here. You now look underneath class features. Um, if you have it open by you, if you're just listening, of course. Uh, underneath proficiencies for saving throws, intelligence, and wisdom, just like the wizard in D&D, because ultimately this class is like a summoning class. Um, somebody brought up a good, a good question. And I kind of want to pose this question. You, because I like to ask you know sometimes weekly questions for the videos because I value your guys' feedback and I do look at comments and things. So if you ever drop a comment, I'd really appreciate it. If you're on YouTube, happy whatever you're listening on, I always love reading the comments from you guys and answering those questions or on the Discord. They're very helpful. This week's question, or at least this episode's question, I should say, right? Um, what do you think I should do about players getting down in combat? Just remember a good point, like. Why would I use my Aramon to fight my opponent's Aramon that is like 100 plus health later on, right? For high leveled or high fusion Aramons. When I can just take out the player that has way less stats, way less resistances, and way less immunities by casting a spell on them or having my Aramon just attack them. So what uh, I got to think of a, a solution to that, right? Is it kind of like Yu-Gi-Oh! Where like the players are really far back and they summon the creatures here to fight like... I think a Pokemon, right, in the anime is a good example where the, where the people are really far back and the creatures are fighting here. And of course, wild creatures can obviously just hit whatever, like in Pokemon. Uh, I might do that and just let that be. Because what happens, what, what just stops a, a player from just attacking another player and just knocking them out and then the disc shuts off, right? Or if their Ormond doesn't have a command, do they just lose? Like, uh, or is perhaps that's the way to win, right? Is you have to knock out the other Ormancer, in which case it's like, oh god, okay. Um, so I'll leave that up to you guys to so give me some feedback on what you think as far as how should that be handled, right? Should I just make it be a situation where if you're in a battle with another duelist, maybe their cards can't hurt the other player, right? But then how does that work against, you know, bosses and dungeons? Does the boss have to win? 
Um, if a drag or if something has a breath attack, that's like a cone attack, and you summon your creature five feet in front of you, and you are right behind them, and you get caught in the cone attack, should you take damage? I kind of think you should, because you're right there, like you would in the Pokemon world, or you would in the Yu-Gi-Oh world if you got took damage. But obviously, of course, with Yu-Gi-Oh, there's life points. That's how the game is in Pokemon, and it is about creatures getting knocked out, which is kind of more towards the system, right? Of course, if the player goes down, then that's different, but... Anyway, so let me, let me know your thoughts down below what you think about that. Okay. I showed wisdom here. Let me get down to the other things. I made some other grammatical changes again. Also, if you guys ever notice grammatical changes, please let me know. Or And then um, shout out to the people on Discord that were letting me know, hey, for example, I missed Vulture completely in Sierra Zero, and I would not have noticed that until I went back through my list of creatures that I have to evolve, and I was like, oh, I missed Vulture. So shout out for Vulture and Disease Rat for letting me know of that. I really do appreciate that. Move the Discord back over here. By the way there. I know, shout out to Vanellope. I really do appreciate it a lot, really, because it's, I, as you see, I do so much with this project that if I miss something, it's, it could be something small, but something super important. So I think I removed a few more uh, spells that I realized I couldn't use, so the spell looks a little tweak. Why? All right, time to get into the creatures quick. So Seymour, get down to Seymour here. Um, yeah, so and I was looking at the book layout more. I, I think doing the card packs first and then the list of creatures is probably for the best because the card packs and things listed are just going to be the things that are in D&D, right? And of course, the special homebrew creatures and things will be in there as well. So maybe I should put the card packs after the creatures now that I think that the homebrew creatures can be involved. But I got another thing for layout once I figure out stuff. Okay. So to show, right, so we're right now on the Crab Evolution for Seymour the Show Collector, because last week's was the Town Mob in honor of, like, the 4th of July, you know, like, the peasants, and uh, in honor of, like, the Revolutionary War and things like that, Town Mob. So now we got Seymour the Show Collector this week, being the Evolution of Crab, and our first double evolution. So you're going to see a CR3 and then a CR5 creature. Let's get, let's get into that. So let's go down past our other creatures we've looked at here, and I'm going to show you guys Seymour. So... Oh, yeah, there's the new update art for Tama, by the way. I think it looks really cool. I really enjoy it. I think it's really cool with the sunset and things. You'll be able to get that on an actual playing card and things, and that'll just look amazing being able to actually hold and look at that. So, cool. Seymour the Shell Collector. Small beast, neutral goods. So, it's the evolution of crab, right? So I'm going to get crab up here. AC of 15, hit points of 66. Trying 10, dex of 14, con of 11, which wrong i look at right if it's 11 oh no 10 and 11 are plus one i'm gonna make it strength 12 because uh physical attack is a bit stronger so um okay intelligence of four wisdom of 10 charisma of eight um and i look at it again i'm also gonna fix its, its intelligence being the six instead of four it's two because i feel like it should be a little smarter smarter for what it's gonna do or more smart i guess so uh, key card, um, it's got a plus four to stealth as a skill. It's got slashing. Actually, yeah, Crab came with the stealth of plus two. So he's got stealth of plus four. And I love the art form. I think it looks way more better like this with the underwater background. Um, you'll be seeing the underwater background, a lot of different underwater things. So I think it just looks super cool and super generic. I could use a lot. Um, so there he is kind of like hanging off of like a sunken mass, reaching down on the ground by some coral. So key card build, uh, res resistant to slashing because he's got like armor on him. Uh, damage immunity to fire because he's made of water and a crab, so his shell's pretty hardened. Um, Pass perception twelve doesn't have any languages and challenge of three. So key card ability kelp protector. After being your key card for twenty four hours, it gives the Oromancer kelp armor. So the Oromancer begins to get these astral pieces of kelp that cover their torso. The kelp armor. Fix this quick because I noticed spelling errors quick. Um, the kelp armor provides no more protection than light robes, but when underwater or wet, it provides heavy armor protection at no movement penalty. Kind of cool, right? So, Ormancers usually traditionally just have the run-of-the-mill normal light armor, maybe some leather armor. But, um, if you ever get wet or it's raining and you're wearing kelp armor, it acts as heavy armor with no penalty. That's really cool. Um, he's got the uh, special unique ability of kelp shield once per combat. Seymour can, as a reaction, cast shield that will affect him and one ally within five feet. The shield resembles that of kelp and seashells, right? So it's kind of cool. He basically can, like, 
a pounding attack and quickly like or just claw into the ground and bring up like a wall of kelp and shells to act as a sh as a shield or an AC buff to him and his allies. So to quickly look at right, um, D&D shield spell, and it's once per combat, right? So it's nothing too crazy. But if you're like, oh, the attack's gonna get me and my friend next to me, it's a breath attack, or it's something that's like an AOB hit on both of us. An invisible barrier of magical force appears and protects you until the start of your next turn. You have a plus five bonus to AC, including um, against the triggering attack, and you take no damage from magic missile. Pretty cool. So, some little protection there as AC becomes 20. So, good luck trying at that, unless you get above that, obviously. But, remember, this is just a CR3 creature. So, being able to do that once per combat, I think, is a fair. Maybe I'll make it once per day, but, I don't know. I think once per combat's okay. And then he keeps the same amphibious ability that the crab had, where a seamless shell collector can breathe on air and water. So, he's pretty good there. Multi-attack. Uh, seamless shell collector makes two claw attacks. So, plus three to hit. One target. One D8 plus three piercing. They basically can do that twice, or we can do Bucket of Shells. This is our first recharge ability. Uh, dragons in D&D traditionally have recharge abilities with their breath attack. So if you're going to give Seymour a cool recharge ability, of, um, recharge attack of Bucket of Shells. So that's where, if you look in his art, he's got his little string with a little bucket of shells hanging down, and he collects shells, so that's his whole little thing. Um, Seymour throws shells out from his bucket in a 15-foot cone. Each creature in the area must make a DC 13 con saving throw, taking 5d6 piercing damage on a failed save or half as much on a success. So I upped the damage, right? Because I will look up right now the way recharge works. I don't want to lead you guys completely um, stray here. So... Notation recharge X to Y means a monster can use a special ability once, and that ability then has a random chance of recharging during each subsequent round of combat. At the start of each of the monster's turns, roll a d6. If the roll is one of the numbers in the recharge notation, the monster regains the use of the special ability. The ability also recharges when the monster finishes a short or long rest. And then, for example, they use in this one the gibbering mouther. Um, that means you roll a d6. If it comes up as a 5 or 6, it can use the spit attack again. It's recharged. So basically, he comes in, bucket of shells, and 15 foot comb, and then at the start of each of his turns, the player will roll a d6. If it's a 5 or a 6, he gets the use of, he, he's gathered enough shells to be able to throw another bucket of shells at people. So I think that's just a little fun little concept. And I like him, he just looks like a little man that's like park crab. So, uh, see mother shell collector, I'll read a little bit of lore about him here. The Kelp and Shells Oromon. Legends speak of, um... Legends speak of, as humans started forming civilizations, the wildlife around them tried to adapt. As I notice things, I will go through quick and fix the grammar just so I don't mess up. Uh, them tried to adapt, to go along with them. As time went on, crabs started to see how fishermen functioned and started to grow themselves. As they did, they started to collect things at the bottom of the ocean that humans could only dream of. One of the leaders of the crabs as they grew was named Seymour. He would help the local fishermen by, fishermen by providing some of the strongest kelp from the deepest kelps of the waters around their towns. When he would bring it to shore, it would help the humans protect themselves from sunburns. When used in water, though, it would help function as some of the toughest materials someone could get their hands on. Seymour has figured out he can use the shells to damage others while also using kelp to help protect himself and So, there's the lore behind Seymour the Shark Collector, a little bit about him, a little bit kind of like how he came to be as an evolution, like a fusion, like a fusion, right, of as the crabs fuse enough, it will evolve into a Seymour, the Shark Collector. So I can look at, right, like the, the aura recognizes like significant people or creatures of that group that it become well known, and that's why you're able to summon them to fight alongside you. So Seymour being such a helpful little crab person um, has now let you be able to summon a fight with him as a Oromon. So that's pretty cool. Next is, okay. So, uh, I'm going to load up Crawling Claw here. Crawling Claw, here we go. Okay. So, information about the Crawling Claw. AC 12, points of 2. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to try to make this be a little separate little. There we go. Maybe. Okay. Crawling Claw. Tiny Undead Neutral Evil. So, we're done with Seymour. We're now into the next thing. And this is our first thing with two evolutions because I thought it was really cool and I think it came out awesome. So, for those in the Discord, obviously you've already seen this. But for those listening, um, I'll probably have them on the thumbnail so you can see them as I talk about them because I'm really excited. So, Crawling Claw. Uh, AC of 12, Tiny Undead Neutral Evil. It points of 2. This is the basic creature, right? Um, if you've ever fought an early super level one character, level one campaign with your friends, and the DM throws a bunch of crawling claws at you, it can be kind of intimidating, kind of scary, but they only have two hit points. Uh, speed of 20 feet, climb of 20 feet, 
Interesting to note, um, damage immunities being poison, so they can be poisoned because it's undead. But condition immunities of charm, exhausted, and poison, so it can't have those effects because it can't be charmed or exhausted because it's an undead crawling hand, right? Senses is blind sight 30 feet, and then the blind beyond the radius, past perception of 10. It understands common, but it can't speak. Claw is immune to effects that turn undead, and claw, which is a melee weapon attack of plus 3 to hit. Reach 5 feet. It's one target for 1d4 plus 1 bludgeoning or slashing damage to the claw's choice. And this is all Sierra Zero, guys, so there's a picture of it right there. Um, and for our sake of discussion, this is actually a rare for the um, CR0 category. So what I think is actually pretty cool, right, is this is our, I think, yeah, this is our first rare. We're talking about in the podcast, so this is cool, right? This is a cool thing to show off the, the rare power level versus an uncommon evolution or common evolution of that. So get another rare here. Scroll down. All right, so you fuse up a bunch of them, and you get the Crawling Claw will evolve into the Necromancer's Hand. So um, here's a cool picture drawn by um, Jacob Blackmont, and I think, oh, Seymour was also drawn. I have to put in the information about Seymour, but uh, most of the backgrounds you're going to see on this project were provided by Carl, and I know I've talked about Carl before. He, Carl has helped draw things like Angelic Kin. This is a picture that's purely from uh, Carl or Carol. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, but I just call him Carl to be short. Um, and Carl uh, does, um, as you see, he draws this, but he also does so many good backgrounds, guys. If you haven't checked him out and you need an artist, I super recommend him. He's going to make most of the backgrounds for this project, I can tell you right now, because they are they look so cool, and, and he just, I could tell, put a lot of work in. So um, he did the fish background for Seymour, and he did the um, haunted background for Necromancer's Hand. I want to quickly grab the, uh, I can show you the, uh, they're not going to let me. Maybe I didn't save it. If I didn't save it, that's okay. I wasn't going to show you the, um, the crawling claw art as well, but I can save that. Actually, I can get that up here. We're talking. So, Necromancer's Hand, Tiny Undead, Chaotic Evil. Damage immunities is poison necrotic, so it's now also immune to necrotic damage, which is pretty cool. And um, it can't be charmed, exhausted, poisoned, or frightened. I added frightened onto it because it's a pretty scary looking creature. Okay, I'm going to show you my, uh, my, my fire information here. And uh, my picture where I do most of my transactions with them is over five or so. Actually, I can probably just download it. Okay. Here is the um, R version of the Crawling Claw for the sake of, right? Because I try to make sure that I don't use any images from Wizards of the Coast because obviously they own all that. So if I plan to use this, it needs to be my creations, my arts, and I'm fine with that. So here is this drawing of the Crawling Claw. I think it came out amazing. Like, like look at this compared to the other image here. Right, like he did a really good job for doing an artist interpretation. And you gotta keep in mind with this one, right? The camera's kind of like low down to the ground looking up at the claw, so the claw looks really big. Even though it's it's not super scary, right? So, um, I like that he gave it the nails, he gave it all the little details here. So this will be the art for the crawling claw when it's finally released in the trading card. Um, way for you people to be able to buy, download, and have actual cards by. So. <clears throat> okay, Necromancer's hand. Uh, speed up 30 feet, climb up 30 feet. I up the speed a little bit. I was like, you know what? This thing could be a little stronger. 10 more, 10 more feet of speed, sure. I won't get too much into strength X cons because some people said that they don't really care. I was like, totally fine. <laughs> I'll just keep going. Um, like I said, poison necrotic, it's immune to. It can't be conditioned of charmed, exhausted, poison or frightened. Uh, sense of blind fight, a blind sight of 30. I got rid of the death beat. The can't sense anything beyond that because I felt it could actually sense things there. Uh, past perception of 10, understands common, but it can't speak still. Key card ability, gathering components. So, after being your Oromon for 24 hours, Necromancer's hand allows the Oromon to allows the Oromancer to cast Detect Magic once per long run. Uh, the other ability from the, from the hand as Turn Undead, so it still can't be affected by that. Now, it has Initiate Spellcasting. So, the Necromancer's hand spellcasting ability is Wisdom. Spell save DC of 13. Uh, plus 4 to hit with spell attacks. 
It can innately cast the following spells requiring only to be wearing the bracer. So as you see, like the hand looks more powerful, right? It's got like the yellow bracer, like a magic bracer on it. So at will, it can cast Acid Splash, Chill Touch, Firebolt, Mage Hand. It's a hand. Poison Spray, Ray of Frost, Shocking Grasp, again, because it's a hand. And uh, three times per day, it can cast Inflict Wounds. So our first spellcaster, guys, and it's a hand. So, you know, that's pretty cool. Um, and also multi-attacks, it can make two claw attacks, which is a plus three to hit one target, uh, 1d6 plus two bludgeoning or slashing hands choice, plus 1d6 necrotic. So it's like a magic attack. So uh, let's get into some of the details. Necromancer's hand. The death crawler or The leader of the crawling claws, who once was a strong and powerful necromancer. Once the necromancer was defeated in battle, before its death, it was able to conjure all of its energy into its left hand. It tasked this hand with gathering the needed components to bring back its body to its once former self. It will stop at nothing to bring itself back to its former glory as a strong and powerful necromancer. It leads the crawling claws to go out and search for the many components it needs to complete the ultimate ritual. By wearing the bracer from the necromancer, it can cast some of the spells it was able to when it was at its full form. These spells are casted out of the bracer, and as such, if the bracer is removed from the hand, then it can no longer cast spells. So, the big thing behind this is it's just like, could be a fun lore thing, right? Perhaps your group runs into a wild necromancer's hand that needs help finding its magic bracer. And that's just a great thing for DMs to jot down if you need an idea or a mission, if players are doing like a quest-like mission or something like that. Or... It's a way now that you're listening, if you ever play this with your playgroup, and you have something that heats metal, or a way to use Mage Hand to pull the Bracer off the other Necromancer's hand, then it can't cast the spells out of it anymore, because it's not attached. Uh, once it's gathered what it needs to perform the ritual, it must find the mausoleum that the Necromancer used to perform its first resurrection. By doing this, it's able to draw in when its body first tapped into the Dark Arts. With the components being gathered and the location set, the ritual can begin. Hopefully. So that's the um that's the lore behind Necromancer's hand. And now I get to show off the evolution. And I've been sit hyped for this ever since I first saw this. And hopefully you guys uh will be as well. I like the idea of right, because so so the lore behind Necromancer's hand is it's a it's a hand that's trying to bring back its former body, right? To what it once was as a necromancer. Well, what happens if that goes a little wrong? And so that's what I wanted to get into here with Hands of the Dam. So let's, let's show this off here. And if obviously if you're watching, you can see on the thumbnail. So, or listening, I'm sorry, you can see on the thumbnail. But if you're watching, it's even cooler. All right, here it is. So inside of the mausoleum, you have this monstrosity, Hands of the Damned. I wanted to make this, I gotta figure out a way to center this more. I'm not the most adept with the um, GM binder, so I'll probably ask the GM binder Discord for some help in centering this image because with this being a second evolution, I want it to be proud and separate from the whole back and forth, like left and right images in the book, right? If you see me, you're like, okay, it's just going to go back and forth the pictures. If it's like this, like a boss creature or like a second evolution, I want it to give it like its own page, its proud picture, and then spell its, um, its creature block down below it. So in the hands of the damned here medium undead monstrosity yes it is two creature types because that's what it is it's it's an undead monstrosity it's chaotic evil ac of 15 hit points of 125 because now remember we're in cr5 everybody we are in the upper big dogs bigger leagues here speed of 30 feet climb of 30 feet bunch of stats uh it's immune to poison necrotic it can't be charmed exhausted poison or frightened so i kind of kept those the same uh, sensitive past perception of 15, so I upped that because obviously if you look at it, it had a bunch of eyes for hands and it's above its magic circle and I'm just going to get all of its lore behind I think it's really sick and the shadows behind of this creature. Look at the, there's two hands coming out on the stalks there. I just think it looks crazy. Anyway, um, and it understands common but cannot speak, just like its former self was. Okay, key card ability gathering components. Oh, I have to fix the, um, I have to fix the name of that. In my notes, I have that, actually. Let me grab that quick. Yeah, I, I basically copy and pasted, like, the other one, and I just had to, like, adapt and change things. So I'm just going to fix that quick. 
Okay, a key card ability. Okay. Looking for the truth. Okay. Hopefully that transfers over okay. Nice. Okay. Yep. So looking for the truth there. So after being your RMI for 24 hours, hand to the. Oh, you have to fix that too. Just say. Hands of, the, Hands of the Damned uh, allows for the Oromancer to cast Detect Magic once per long rest and locate object. So, as you notice, I got rid of the for 24 hours because uh, Second Evolutions can just do their effects when you summon them out. So look at it this way. If it's a card in your deck, those are two spells you don't have to run in your deck. Or an ability you don't have to run in your deck. So. And I figured Detect Magic and Locate Object aren't like super game-breaking spells but they make for fun lore and and that was what the hands was about right was trying to find all the components trying to find the truth trying to find the the right way of of being able to do this and it ultimately it's, its ritual did not work so okay turn on dead again they're immune to effects that turn on dead and initiate spell casting i upped the spells <laughs> the necromancer's uh yeah see again i wrote the necromancer's hand i gotta fix that sorry i was working on this like when I had time to do this. And it, my, uh, for those wondering too, my vacation went well. I know I said it was in the other country. Oh, well, I got pretty badly sunburnt, but, uh, you know, it's, it's healing. It's, it's getting there. Um, so I was working on this a lot on the plane. And the last part, which will be a podcast exclusive, which we'll get to that in a second, where I go into abilities, is what I was primarily working on when I was there. I didn't work on this book at all. So I had to do all, like, these creature stuff, all these stat blocks when I came back in the past, like, 20-ish hours that i've been back so um okay so pardon me if there's like a bunch of spelling problems but hand of the damn spell casting ability is wisdom spell safety c15 plus five to hit with spell attacks it can initially cast the following spells but must suffer the effects of failed ritual so at will so it can do acid splash chill touch firebolt mage hand poison spray rare frost shocking grasp all that's the same but it's got four first level spell slots burning hands because Hands, inflict wounds and magic missile second level it's got three slots hold person heat metal and scorching ray and at third level it's got bestow curse blink and vampiric touch blink is a play on the fact that uh you know got a bunch of eyes but in order to cast any of these spells it must suffer the effect of failed ritual in order to use a spell that can target at least one creature it must roll to see if it targets an additional character Targets one character must roll to see if targets. Like, what does that mean, Ryan? We'll get to that in a second. So, actions. Uh, Necromancer's hand makes four claw attacks. Because, let me look at all the claws on this guy, right? And each claw attack is a plus six to hit. Five feet, one target. Hits for one d8 plus three bludgeoning or slashing. Again, the hand's choice. And then plus one d6 necrotic. So, I figured if you're attacking four different times, that amount of damage seems pretty fair. So, after the d6. Of the last thing up to a d8 and then a plus three bludgeoning because or, or slashing so pretty cool okay let's get into this uh the, this here so what's the failed ritual table so um anytime you want to cast a spell that's more than that has uh a, a single target or more right uh for example blink does it blink lets you leave this realm enter the ethereal realm and then be able to pop back out for surprise attacks is what blink does which i think is fine because this creature is all about usually spell cast but it can cast physical claw attacks by popping up on people and things and it just looks so beautiful i just love looking at it sorry okay let's get into it so uh there is five different results you could get from the failed ritual table two of them are super extreme then there's the middles and then the more middle option uh so oh actually yeah so that's right so that's what i did i was like wait, what did i do here okay so you're gonna get about 50 50 for good and bad results because the spells are so strong but the the strength of the better payoff i think outweighs the the risk so let's do okay i'm gonna read the better ones and then i'll get actually i'll read the worst and we'll get to the better so roll of a one through two in the failed ritual table the result is catastrophic calamity um the oh i gotta change task Whoop. <laughs> Sorry. 
I should say task that's from the um the villagers. I also have not slept a lot, if you may have noticed. <laughs> um effect. So you roll a d20, right, whenever you go to cast a spell that targets at least one thing. And if you roll a 1 or a 2, you get Catastrophic Calamity. The effect, uh, the hands target themselves and their Auromancer in addition to their targets. So, you go to cast Vampiric Touch. So you're like, okay, I roll a d20. I got a 2. Vampiric Touch not only targets the one target, they will hit themselves with Vampiric Touch. And they will hit you as the Auromancer with Vampiric Touch. So it adds that, that risk of a 1 or 2 of being like, I as the Summoner could get hit with the spell, but it could also hit itself and hurt itself and an enemy. These all, as a, as a heads up, will always hit their, like, like, in addition to their targets, right? So whatever you choose the original target, you will, that will always be an option for you. You're never going to lose that as a result from the failed ritual table. That's why I think makes this creature so good, because some of its better payoffs you'll see in a second are pretty good. So if you roll a 1 or 2, Catastrophic Calamity, the hand targets themselves and their Auromancer in addition to their targets. Um, if you roll a 3 through a 9, so a bigger range, huge range, right? 3 through 9, uh, it's, the result was misreading components in the, in the ritual. So the effect was the hands of the damned targets themselves in addition to their targets. So not use the Auromancer. They'll just hit themselves and their targets. So. For example, right, magic missile, while it's going to hit a bunch of the enemies, it will also hit one blast into itself. Or, yeah, so 1 through 9, you don't want to roll. 10 through 20, the better end of the spectrum, yeah. So 10 through 14 is partial success. The hands of the dam could target an additional target they can see within the spell's range when they cast a spell that targets at least one creature. So what if I target two creatures now with Vampiric Touch? Pretty good. Or inflict wounds, right? Great inflict wounds here. Inflict wounds, right? Just being one of the spells that I know is make a melee spell attack against a creature you can reach. On a hit, the target takes 3d10 necrotic damage. At a higher levels, when you cast a spell, ignore that. So 3d10 necrotic. Okay. Or if you cast in a spell slot of second level or higher, the damage increased by 1d10. So if they cast that at a third level spell, that's, you know, 5d10 necrotic that could go to. Their target and an additional target, if you roll a 10 through 14, that was a partial success. That, that, that ritual, like the result from that of being like a partial success, pretty good. A 15 through an 18 for close perfection is the hands of the damn could target two additional creatures. Now I'm going to hit three creatures for 5d10 necrotic. That's pretty good. Assuming they're within reach, right? And that's why it's specified by saying whatever's in reach. And obviously the hand can always shoot itself. With one of its own eye and things and, and clawed itself. I mean, claws will never hit yourself, which is nice. It's just if you cast spells. And then 19 through 20, perfected ritual. Of course, now these have no bonuses, so it's a flat d20 roll. So there's a spectrum of you hurting yourself, your own arm answer, and the enemy for one through two being catastrophic calamity. What's 19 to 20? Perfected ritual. The hands of the damned can target every target they can see within the spell's range of their choice twice. Yep. <laughs> so things like, you know, Scorching Ray. A uh, range of 120 feet. If they cast Scorching Ray at a third level spell, when you cast a spell you're using a spell slot there to hire, you can create one additional ray for each slot above the second. So you can, uh, you know, create three rays of fire, hold them at targets. Well, you can create an additional ray or an additional thing, right? You don't get to cast an additional copy of the spell. You just have an additional target, and that's what's more specialized with it, right? So you can make an additional ray to hit somebody. But what if all those rays now double into six rays, and then this thing now just summons, shoots out a bunch of rays all over? That's where uh, I'm going to change it to be um, within the spell's range of their choice twice. And I have space, so without consuming an additional 
So they can target every target they can see within the spell's range of their choice twice without consuming additional slots. So this is a CR5 rare creature right here, everybody. We've entered the big leagues from just a creature that hits hard or a creature that has a cool effect. But it's, it's a risk, right? So if you want to cast Scorching Ray and accidentally targets you as the Oromancer and itself, it's going to be hurting itself with some of these things. One through nine, it always hurts itself. One through two, it hurts you and itself and its target. But if you hit that 19 to 20, it can target every target you can see within the spell's range of their choice twice without consuming additional. It just seems so good, right? So eh, that's what I was saying. I think the reward, it, it definitely outweighs the risk. But I want your guys' thoughts. What do you think of it? And I'll got some lore here. So Hands of the Damned, the failed ritual Oromon. This thing I gave like a whole little paragraph to because I thought it was cool. So with the ritual commencing, with magic floating around the inscribed ritual circle and the gathered magical crystals being consumed as the final blood has been spilled, the hand, uh, I'm going to say the necromancer's hand. I think the, um, this is going to start as the necromancer's hand. The necromancer's hand is ready to become its true form. The energy was building and the ground began to rumble from inside, this never having been done before. As long as the necromancer's hand knew, the hand was able to sense the bodies around it to materialize into the air and start to flow towards its open bone that was jutting out of its upper wrist. As the body's flesh and blood floated above the hand, the power underneath the circle became so much it started to rattle the whole mausoleum. As the bodies in the mausoleum rattled and the flesh gathered around the necromancer's hand, a few sections of the circle started to splatter outside its perimeter as the ground underneath shifted from the energy. This instead caused the flesh around the hand to to be engulfed inside the mass of flesh and blood. The bracer being fully consumed ignited the mass to grow beyond its limits and start to form arms and hands of its own distortion. They flowed in a multitude of directions as the palms on each started to grow started to glow a fiery red. Just like that, the ritual ended. The planet still. As all got quiet, the red circles on each of the palms of the monstrosity started to open, and the necromancer's hand now became a mass of flesh, arms, and hands with eyes. It was now known as the Hands of the Damned. With the ritual being a failure, whenever the Hands of the Damned would cast a spell from itself, it would direct it out of different eyes. They would always go as direct and sometimes even more than intended. As the hands would cast a spell, its Oromancer has no idea if they'll target more than the intended, or even if they too will become a target. For having developed an enhancement of spells, it comes at the cost of never truly knowing what or who may be the target of such gained skills. The hands of the damned do, however, allow its Oromancer to be able to cast spells without needing to be its keycard for 24 hours due to it having grown and changed forms at least twice in its lifetime. So that's the that's the lore behind the uh, the hands of the damned. So far, one of my most favorite creatures. I just think it looks so good. Again, I, you'll hear me keep saying that because I think it looks great. I like the, uh, the the interesting creatures, right? So be able to cast. Um, unique spells without needing to be its key card for 24 hours due to having grown and changed forms at least twice in the lifetime. So that's where like, okay, you could just switch out the creatures, summon the hands of the damned, and be able to cast locate object and um, detect magic once for long rest. I think that's pretty cool. Um, I know the spells that, I know like the ability it gives you is kind of underwhelming, but I figured if you can use it, you know, and not need to have it be 24 hours. You can just summon it, use its effect and things. I think that just helps pay off immensely. So, yeah. All right. Time to get into some of the, uh, the podcast listening exclusive content. So, 
we are going to the big thing I was working on the the biggest part of my vacation away was the I made Ormon type significant effect. So knowing how um show it off here again, right? Angelic kitten works. So it's got the ability angelic gift. For those to remind you guys what the Angelic Kitten's Angelic Gift does, when Angelic Kitten gets into the graveyard in combat, it originally said the next Oromon you summon gets a plus one to its AC. But I am going to make this be a special, unique thing that some Celestials get. So when Angelic Kitten gets into the graveyard in combat, the next Celestial Oromon you summon gets a plus one to its AC. So it makes angels just a little tougher to hit. Right? Angel, celestial, holy creatures, a little tougher to hit. And that's the unique effect of celestial. So I went through and I gave um, every type of um, creature, celestial, beast, um, construct, aberration, etc. A, a unique ability that at least, at least one or potentially two or three creatures of those types will have. Um, if you're building a deck around those types of creatures. So, uh, let's get started. So, Aberrations. Those are like your, not in this game, but your Mind Flayers, your uh, Beholders, your like alien-like creatures. This is the way Google described them. I had to look up what Aberration was in D context myself. But So, their uh, unique ability that some of the creatures will have is the unusual kids on the block. When an Aberration on your side of the field dies you can discard this card to bring it back with one fourth of its health as it morphs back to life so um a miniature resurrection thing like the alien race always being like stronger than what people give it credit for and they come back and can still be able to fight so a lot of these are going to be like discard effects uh from your hand so figure because it is a card game right so being able to discard cards is pretty impactful so um, I want to implement that those rulings a little more. Ultimately, right, it is a dungeon, it is a dungeon dragon game, but um, to give it more of that card game aspect, because you're ultimately fighting with cards. Being able to build decks around certain themes is what I love the most about um, themes. Like, like I play Hearthstone literally every day <laughs> for a good couple of hours every day. So um, I used to stream it all the time, and if people want that, I could do more of that because I did that at least once. But uh, yeah, anyway. Um, so I love card games, love deck building games. I love being able to, to build decks around themes. And then if I can do that with creatures, I can summon and fight with in D&D. Oh, now we're talking, right? So I wanted to build, add more to that deck building aspect of the game. So that's where these signature effects come in. So that's Aberrations. Beasts, pretty common type, right? Power of the Wild. When a beast you have out rolls to hit a melee weapon attack, after moving, you can discard this card from your hand to double the damage dice of the attack. This must be done before seeing it hit. So Beast has the, I think out of all the types, like the largest um, gamble for an effect. So, because a lot of Beasts have the moving, they have the charge, they have the pounce, right? So they have the fly, the dive by. They have the, a lot of the effects involved moving and then dealing damage for a bonus or additional dice. And then this just makes this, okay, before I hit, I'm going to discard this. Damn, I've now doubled the dice of the attack and it's super, it's way stronger now. So this must be done before seeing if it hits. That's the biggest takeaway. So if it hits, great. Um, if it doesn't, you discard the card and it didn't, it didn't do its effect. But if it, if it did, whoo, the damage dice. So. Uh, highest, the most damaging of all the effects, but yet the 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 most gamble. So, um, celestial obviously we know angelic blessing when dies in combat. Next celestial or gets the plus one to its AC. So I I wanted to make because there's so few celestials and really aberrations as well, but um, that I wanted to to give that effect to be like a dies effect because you're not going to be discarding a ton of them all the time. So anyway, construct. Maximum overdrive setting. I just picture Plankton being like, send this baby to overdrive, you know, uh, when he's on the carpet patty. Anyway, uh, maximum overdrive setting or construct. You can discard this card when you have a construct Ormon that just defeated an Ormon in battle to have it make four additional melee attacks on nearby Ormon within range. 
If that four seems too weak or too strong, obviously stuff can be adjusted. And shout out to new people that are offering to be playtesters. I love that. The more playtesters I get, the better this game will be, guaranteed. So um, that's cool, right? So you basically can discard this construct to basically give your construct you have out to immediately have it make four additional melee attacks on nearby Ormond within range. So uh, if you just finish defeating one and you're in like a horde and you just discard it again, it can then make four more attacks on things nearby. Uh, dragon. The ability the, this basically helps these like creature types right so and you don't necessarily have to be that type to be able to help it so i don't necessarily have to discard a construct but i could discard maybe like a mechanical thing to help that construct you know okay uh for dragon draconic servant you can this one i thought was really cool and i thought of this I, I was on a plane i was like half awake half asleep i woke up drank some ginger ale it was a great time anyway <laughs> i was like oh this is great. So, uh, Draconic Servant. You can discard this card from your hand to allow a Dragon Oromon you have out that just made a Breath Attack recharge on a Breath Attack sooner. This is done by increasing the range to include another number um, on its recharge. And then I say this lasts until it leaves the field. For example, a recharge of 5 or 6 becomes a 4 to 6. So that way you can get a higher chance of recharging your breath attack. Because ultimately for dragons, right? They are about that breath attack. And then if they don't get the the next effect, then they are just in trouble. Right? Because that's because really dragons in D D, uh, they're I just call Dungeons and Dragons, right? So so their their dragon attack is usually the, one of their strongest aspects, and the the biggest thing that nerfs them is the fact that they can only do it five to six. Once you change that to four, or you discard a bunch, if you if you build like like the premium dragon deck, right, which pipe, um, it can then become three to six or two to six, depending on how many of those cards you're able to discard. There might be a homebrew creature at some point that maybe lets you bring a card back out of graveyard to add into your hand. If that's the case, there's only one class I think that could be cool for of these primarily, and that's undead. When we get to that, but. For now, I, I think I got to be careful with that, right? Because some of that could break this discard mechanic, and then it just gets OP. So anyway, uh, I basically increases the range so that they be able to use their breath attacks quicker. Really cool. Elemental. So uh, the ability Elemental Incarnate. If you control an Elemental Oromon, you can discard this to increase the power of the next spell card you cast this turn that targets one enemy. When rolling for damage of a spell, you're about to cast that targets one enemy. You take half of the total amount of dice you'll roll and add that amount to form your new total. For example, instead of 48, you'll roll 68 damage. Basically, just take half of the dice that you're going to roll and add that onto the dice you're going to roll, and that's your new total. So, uh, this is cool. There's not many elementals in the game. Well, he isn't very many elemental creatures, so by having that bonus, and this works on spell cards, right? So, so this this is different because it's not like, hey, I have an elemental, I'm going to buff that elemental. No, I have an elemental out, and I'm probably casting spell cards myself. This is great for mystics, right? Um, and then increase that damage by half. So, of course, the targets one enemy mystics are about chaos, but still, the spell casting class uh, for Fey. They're going to have an interesting mechanic for Fey here. So, Fey has the trickster magic. Uh, while you control a Fey Oromon, you can discard this card to have your Fey Oromon move one step up in the initiative order. So, homebrew Feyish creatures I'll make will probably have abilities that rely on being the first in initiative order. So, by having this trickster magic come in to help slide you up is better. And while this is not the best for larger groups because that's less of a chance for your your Ormond to be going first. Um, I think I will include more trickster magic abilities for fey creatures compared to other things where I might not have a ton of dragon recharge because if they can always recharge on a one to six that's going to be a problem. So I could see a lot of issues in this where it could become infinite like some combos could just be done infinitely and that's where I want to help do rule fixing to fix it because what's nice about this um, is as long as I can get people playtesting the game before cards actually start printing, I can fix tons of things. Once cards start printing, obviously I can just fix it and have all the cards then and out fixed grammar. But 
Uh, what's nice about this compared to, I guess, a game like uh, Magic the Gathering or uh, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, TCG, things like that. Um, when a card gets printed, you then have to make erratas and change it online. And people have to Google what the erratas are to really know what that card means. Once that card's printed, that's it. But because this is a tabletop card game, I'm able to make changes behind the scenes and stuff that will help make the game more balanced and easier without needing to actually disrupt the whole cards themselves. So anyway, uh, that's a cool thing where that comes into play. So and obviously, like I said, this game mode is great for just a DM and a player. That player can literally go on a whole, be, be the anime protagonist of like Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon, be that hero. Or if it's Pokemon, then you're traveling with your friends, matched it with Brock, etc. But this is great for people of larger groups and smaller groups. So, Fiend, Fiendish Sacrifice. Obviously, we know this from Batsy of Darkness, we talked about it a week or two back. When a Fiend or a Mon you have in battle makes a melee weapon attack and misses, you may discard this from your hand to make that attack an automatic hit. <laughs> talked about that, right? So, makes an automatic hit, but it doesn't. I gotta add that um, from Batsy, I'm pretty sure, right? Uh, this does not get around yet. Immunities and resistances to damage. So that's the catchaway, right? So it's like, yes, my thing hit. And then the DM goes, ooh, or another player goes, ooh, actually, huh, my thing's uh, resistant to, to that. So that's not gonna happen, sorry. So then you're, you're sad. But ultimately, it, it's, it is what it is. So. Um, giant. I like this one. Fee five foe fight. I think it's a pretty cool unique ability. Um, at least the name. I, and for giants, I was really trying to think of what they what they struggled with, right? What was bad about giants? So I said, you can discard this card when you have a giant Aramon, and when it defeats an Aramon of any size smaller than it in combat, it can increase the range of its melee range attacks for the rest of the combat by ten feet. This is done through the limbs of the giant growing. So it literally like it's like a giant that grows in size as it defeats things. So, and that way then it can be able to hit flying creatures that are potentially just out of reach or be able to reach further to deal more damage if you're in like a, like a, a picture like a um, Lord of the Rings style where like if there's like a giant out there that's like fighting things also just grows bigger to be able to take out more hordes of enemies and yeah, things like that. I just try to think of um, interesting things in my life or things I've seen that, that helps gear shape towards what I'm thinking and trying to think of things that, you know. What makes the Giants bad in D&D? Or what is their weakness that could help them if they had a buff or something? So I figured range. Range. If they're heavy hitters and they're physical hitters, give them range. Because then they can hit a lot more things a lot further away. So, uh, Humanoid. I might have to fix Humanoid a little bit. They were ones I was trying to think of something unique. I called Unite the Army. You can discard this card when a Humanoid misses a melee attack to make an additional... Oh, to take. Not make. To take. An additional action from the discarded card as well. Multi-attacks and other actions function normally. So. What this means, right, is, oh, my humanoid that's out missed its attack. Okay, I'm going to discard this card. And whatever print on that card as an action I can do and multi-attack is in one action primarily, right? So, okay, that card basically comes out, does the attack, and then like gets, poof, gets back being destroyed. But... I basically called Unite the Army, meaning like it's never alone. You can discard this and bam, now summon that creature out to do one of its actions to also try to deal damage to whatever you're fighting. Or especially if you are if you know, okay, the human I have out and if what I'm fighting is resistant to my attacks, but the card I have in my hand, it can do an action that lets me do a elemental damage attack. Instead of me having to release my humanoid that's out, I'll just discard this, do its super effective attack on the enemy. Bada bing. Bada boom, I'm there. So, pretty cool. For monstrosities, I call it to serve my fellow monster. While you control a monstrosity or a mon, and it just took damage, you can discard this card to reduce damage it further takes by a d4 for each CR of the Oromon you discarded for the rest of the battle. Fences. A CR3 creature always reduces damage taken by 3d4 every time the Oromon takes damage. So it's basically it's like, it's like a little bubble, right? It, it nullifies a bit of damage every time, but not a ton. It's a default. So any creature that has this to serve my fellow monster probably won't have a super high CR unless it's a higher rarity creature. A legendary, then obviously it might be, and it's a CR 8 legendary, then that's 84. It's reducing every time it would take damage. So pretty cool. And actually just nullify a bunch of damage all the time. 
it's kind of like a way to get around having a lower AC. Um, okay, ooze. Jolly Residue, when an ooze died in combat from a melee weapon attack while this Oromon was in your hand, and affects its killer with a jelly-like residue. This residue makes the next two melee weapon attacks attacks that would hit from that would hit from that enemy miss instead. This overrides abilities to guarantee a hit. So um it basically says, hey, I just had an ooze die in combat. Alright, I'm gonna discard this card. The killer that killed it with a melee weapon attack. Now instead, that person will miss its next two melee weapon attacks because of the jelly residue on their weapon guaranteeing a miss. So that might be a little underwhelming compared to the others. But again, this is where I value guys' feedback to listening. So definitely be sure to reach out. Uh, plants have the photosynthesis ability. While out in sunlight, I wanted to do a, a, a inverse on the ability of sunlight sensitivity. So while out in sunlight, you can discard this card to make your plant Oromon start to glow a green color. This will cause your Oromon to regain HP at the end of their turns equal to the discarded Oromon CR. This ability can only be used two times in a plant Oromon, causing the glow to become a darker. Um, I'm going to say equal to D4 times the discarded Oromon CR. So it's like the, um, the semi-fellow monster. Right, so they're going to heal that much at the end of their turns, or restore that much. So if it's 8, they'll restore 8d4 at the end of their turns. That's actually pretty significant if you think about it. That's why I can only stack twice. Compared to other abilities where it can be used infinite, this only works twice. Because if you do a ton, hmm, that's a lot. Um, undead, I think undead. Yep, undead's our last one. So, uh, Dead Man's Curse. Uh, I like this one. When an undead deals melee damage with a melee weapon attack, while this is in your hand, you can curse it to cause its attacks to leave a dead man's curse on the target for the rest of the Wait, when an undead deals melee damage with a melee weapon attack, while this is in your hand, you can discard it. That's it. I said you can curse it. You can discard it. To cause its attacks to leave a dead man's curse on the target for the rest of combat. Dead man's curse will cause damage to the afflicted Ormon at the end of each of their turns with necrotic damage. Each curse deals damage equal to the CR of the Ormon that was discarded. Its effect can stack up to three times. The curses are removed when the victim of the curse leaves the battlefield or the battlefield ends. Basically a play on the devil we talked about that like hurts somebody and continuously deals them damage at the end of their turns. That's the same thing here. Except, all they have to do is successfully make a melee weapon attack. So, for example, if we go back here to zombie, I might just change it to be a melee attack. I think I think weapon is what zombies use, though. You know, zombies just kind of slam. I was kind of using. I was thinking like, okay, what is what is undead's weakness, right? Oh no, melee weapon attack is like slam and stuff. Okay, yeah. Like their weakness isn't that they don't come back because they come back. They just don't deal like. A, a, ton of damage whereas if they can inflict something with like a curse a dead man's curse then at the end of that thing's turns even if i miss my my next melee attacks they're still taking damage to the cr i discarded and that's why i stacked it three times so for example you discard a cr 10 something that thing's taking 10 damage at the end of each of its turns no matter what the cursor removing the victim of the curse leaves the battlefield or the battle ends obviously so it is a cool way to be able to whittle down an enemy, especially if you know, like, okay, if I have an effect or if my players can discard or help me with an effect that makes this next attack be guaranteed to hit and I've cursed my zombie. So the attacks it does for the rest of the combat curse people, pretty good. Right, and then those curses at the end of their turns will take CR equal to the discard. Really good. So, anyway. That was some exclusive, because uh, that's not going to be in the book, right? So, I mean, it'll be in the book, but it'll be on a few creatures to help with deck building. And you'll see that at some point. But I want to give you a little taste into some of the abilities of working on for some unique Oromon that are out there. So, um, without further ado, I just want to end it by saying thank you to everybody that's been helping with the project. Um, I know this video is late again. For that I apologize. It's just 
I lost stuff going on in my life. And thank you all for being understanding and still support the project because I'm hyped for the project. I listen, I have three artists working on things right now. So obviously if you and I say this a lot, but if you want to contribute or help the cause, Patreon is a great way to do it. You'll get benefits through there. And um even if you just make a one-time donation on Patreon, obviously that's always helpful. So and it obviously goes a long way because obviously this art for these things is not cheap. Oh yeah, Carl by the way. I mean, Carl, I was praised and talked about. He did this entire picture. Carl drew this thing. He did these walls. He did, oof. He did so much for this, and I love how it came out. I think the, the Hands of the Damned is by far one of my favorite just how, like, grotesque and monstrous it looks. So, yeah. Um, with that being said, if it's nighttime for you, have a good night. If it's daytime for you, have a good day. And with that, I will catch you guys all. Right. See ya.